Mic check. One, two, one, two. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> We're the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting, your weekly source for podcast news, tips, and tricks. From production to promotion and everything in between. I'm John Luckenball. And I'm Matthew Stevens. Two podcast experts ready to help you every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. As always, I'm Matthew Stevens, and I'm joined by owner of Queued Up Audio, John Luckenball. And we've got an awesome episode with a very special guest. You probably remember him, Dr. John Sullivan. How you doing, Dr. Sullivan? How you doing, John Luckenball? Doing great. Great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great having you on here. we got a lot of stuff that we want to talk about. Um, certainly, when we start talking about the rising numbers pod track, we'll, we'll talk about that first, but then we'll go into the consolidation of podcasting, kind of the oligopoly as it is that it is happening right now in the potential monopoly. And then, of course, the need for open protocols and standards, and then maybe some additional Spotify and additional platform news that we'll end up getting into. But let's talk about pod track. iHeart held the number one spot in May as its download numbers hit a new high in total. 29 million U.S. unique audience and then 268.6 million global downloads and streams. That is up from 26.86 and 250.98 million last month. So pretty large growth there uh, for iHeartMedia. They've got to be pretty happy with what they're seeing. I mean, how many months in a row now is this that iHeartRadio has been number one through PodTrack? Again, what, what I see here, Matt, is we've touched on this last month with the active shows that iHeart has 557 it's i mean to me i don't i mean yes it's impressive but i don't know if it's as impressive as your new york times having 105 million streams for 15 shows yeah it's it's exactly what we covered last time these stats are great if we just toss out those base numbers they're fantastic again iHeart's got to be thrilled 29 million us downloads but then you look at NPR, which is number two, and they've got just shy of 21 million over 47 shows. So less than one-tenth of the total number of shows that iHeartMedia has. And then you've got those things. Dr. Sullivan, we, we, we were talking just shortly before this of kind of like the consolidation of some of these things. Obviously, iHeart, 557 shows. New York Times got Cumulus Media down at number nine, uh, and they've got 123 shows. There's kind of a lot of this reshuffling as we start to see some of these brands in the top 20 maybe start to consolidate and get bought out by one another. I think what you kind of pointed out uh, earlier, John, was that it is kind of fascinating where you see the New York Times in the number three spot and they only have 15 shows. So NPR is still is up there. It's number two. So I, I really think that, you know, the podcasting space has, at least in the United States, and to some extent elsewhere as well, has kind of become associated with or defined by that kind of public media genre, if you will, that kind of, you know, whether it's the narrative documentaries, or that kind of interview style, almost like Terry Gross, Fresh Air kind of style, that that still is kind of a really defining feature of the medium. And you see that sort of reflected in NPR's numbers and and the New York Times numbers. I think the New York Times is so similar in terms of the way it sounds to NPR that I see a lot of similarity there. But then you look at iHeartMedia and some of these other big companies, and it seems like their strategy is less to kind of build up one particular show, perhaps, and kind of go for more of this kind of like shotgun style approach where it's all about the sum total of the audience rather than about one particular show. You'll remember listening to a show from the New York Times. You might not remember that the show is actually made by iHeartMedia or by Cumulus or one of these others. That's right? a good point. Yeah. So I, I think it just in terms of like, I don't know what you want to call it, brand awareness. I, I feel like the New York Times and NPR have tremendous brand awareness and people will seek them out because they are produced by those companies. Whereas I don't think if you ask the average person on the street uh, what they think about shows from iHeartMedia, they might say, like, what's that? 
you know, they might know a particular podcast they're listening to, but they won't know the company as a whole. So I don't know where that where that leaves them. A couple other things on this list that are kind of interesting to me is number 16, This American Life, is it's still on here. 3,337,000 unique downloads for the month. That's just one show. And then also I see The Daily Wire at 4,313,000 uh, unique monthly downloads. And that's on Cumulus Podcast Network. The Daily Wire is six shows, but I'm wondering why they're not lumped in with, with you know, the Cumulus Podcast Network and why This American Life isn't lumped in with iHeart because that's who owns that the rights to that show now, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting that we, we have seen that in terms of the, the kind of weird split there. The whole list itself, there are some check marks next to some shows that are verified by PodTrack. So everyone just needs to also kind of take a step back and realize that a lot of these shows aren't actually actively measured by PodTrack. And some of these numbers are either provided by the networks themselves or they're other, they're, those numbers come from other places. So it's still a little bit of, in some cases, apples to oranges comparisons in terms of numbers, because the they're not single sourced from a particular from one particular company. Yes, this is released by PodTrack, and PodTrack releases these numbers, but PodTrack doesn't actively measure all of these shows and downloads. So some of these are estimates, um, so and so forth. It's great to have them all in one place, but some of them are not really actively kind of listed on here could you really say that the cumulus podcast network would have what almost 10 million downloads a month because of the cumulus podcast network and the daily wire and it could be that they separated them out because one is daily and I, 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 it's 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 unclear why they would be separating those those out unless to sort of bring attention to a particular you know group of shows that are daily and to look at those kind of daily drivers and downloads. And I would imagine that there's some sponsors and advertisers that really care about more, you know, daily shows. Because if you can move, if you can reach that many listeners on a daily, daily basis, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's that's pretty amazing. And as you know, John and, and Matt, most of most of the times when you're counting your downloads, you're looking at like a 30-day window. You know, where you get most of your downloads in the first 24 or 48 hours, and then it kind of goes down after a week. But then you're looking at those download numbers are typically over a 30-day period. So that's likely why they bracketed off the daily shows, because those you expect that people are not, you know, they have very short shelf life, obviously, because you're, you take something like the daily or whatever. It's not evergreen content. You're not going to go back and, and listen to yesterday's because there's a brand new one today, and there'll be a brand new one tomorrow. So those numbers are very, um, that content goes stale almost overnight. One thing that I found interesting, and, and this will maybe be a great segue for, for our next topic, is, is the fact that we see so many on this list, obviously, that have the blue check marks, iHeart, NPR, uh, Barstool, Wondery, ESPN, Cumulus Warner Media, a lot of them are really large companies. Uh, and, and it seems that, you know, maybe this was always going to happen, but podcasting still is relatively in the early stages of a lot of this stuff. We're really starting to see, I think, a lot of these conglomerates get together and go, you know what, this is the way, this is where we're heading. This is where we're going into that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about maybe how the, the shifting dynamic in having an iHeart radio be at the top of the list simply because they're buying up all the podcasts, they're producing all the podcasts they possibly can. How does that may maybe leave an independent podcaster? Because there's not a lot on this list that are independent podcasts anymore. That's a big part of the space, right? We're seeing a lot of popular shows. And we should say that the number one podcast is not yeah, tracked by PodTrack. And that's the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> yes. that's not on this list. Everyone should, you know, sort of realize yeah, you've got this top 20 list, but there are some major podcasts that are not that are invisible on this list. But yeah, a lot of these bigger companies have the they've got deep pockets. So they're able to bankroll content and create new content that is very professional sounding. So that creates some 
some serious competition for indie podcasters. But Matt, as you pointed out, they're also going out. And if there is a popular podcast or a podcast that has suddenly jumped into the forefront of our attention, that they're going to, you know, these big companies are going to make a play for those podcasts and dangle money, um, exclusive contracts, those kinds of things to get those podcasts onto their network. And that's that's a kind of classic strategy from other forms of media, too. We, we see that a lot in the record industry or in television or anything like this. You see a lot of that, that strategy going on. I don't necessarily think that that's going to make it uh, so that independent podcasters can't successfully launch their own podcast. They can't make uh, a business out of their podcast. I don't think that's the case. But what it does mean is that, you know, we've we're upwards to 2 million plus podcasts now as uh, registered on the Apple uh, podcast directory. Finding a way to cut through all of these new shows and to try and get some attention for your podcast has become more difficult than ever. So we're in this kind of stage in podcasting where it's this kind of gold rush mentality. Everyone's jumping in. It is the hot new thing. Never mind, it's been around for 20 plus years that everyone needs to be in, not necessarily because they understand it or because they have a viable business model, but it's almost like everyone's uh, rushing out west to lay a stake in the ground hoping that at some point in the future, that ground is going to become a valuable real estate, to use a location metaphor, right? So I see that as, as all of these companies basically frantically laying down stakes and then kind of projecting into the future, hoping that those podcasts that they're creating or investing in today will become the serial of the future. You kind of see that over the last couple of years with, uh, you know, Amazon, Wondery, Spotify, Gimlet, Liberty Media with Sirius XM, Pandora, iHeart. I mean, it really has left the podcast industry dominated by a handful of players. Basically, I'm looking at Liberty, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, New York Times, and your public radio, which is your NPR and PRX. This is your monopoly or oligarchy. How you say that word? Oligopoly. 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 To me, the the main player in that, Dr. Sullivan, is, or the biggest player in that, I guess, would be Spotify because they are best positioned with all the needs for podcasting, your production, your hosting, your platforms, and monetization. Spotify is definitely well positioned. And I I wonder how long iHeartMedia is going to remain at the top because when you kind of step back and look at it, they're a content company, right? They're in the business of content. And they obviously have huge stakes in distribution in radio, right? So they're a broadcast radio company. And now satellite, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're invested in technologies that are not part of the podcasting ecosystem. So the companies that are invested in part of the podcast ecosystem that actually delivers you the audio, right, are companies like Apple and Spotify. They're the tech companies. So because this is an internet medium, tech companies have a leg up in the sense that they're the ones that control the distribution to get that stuff to you. So iHeartMedia has a lot of content, but they are still reliant on these big tech giants to get their content to you. There's still a middleman, and that middleman is like Spotify. So yeah, iHeartMedia is great on its own, but they launched their app as a kind of like as a necessity that they had to kind of launch this app where they've got all their shows on it and things like that. And I haven't seen stats on this, but I would be willing to bet money that the vast majority of the audiences for their podcasts are listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify. In other words, they're listening or Google Podcasts. They're listening through podcasting tools that these big tech companies are delivering to you. That's a long-term strategic problem for a company like iHeartMedia because they don't have the platform. It's interesting you you mentioned that. I mean they, they certainly Spotify and you know Apple have the two largest platforms. They own the largest market share 
certainly combined, and then everyone else kind of falls pretty far underneath those two. Do you think that there is a and eventually a, a problem coming with just being two kind of large companies? I mean, eventually I can see a company like Pandora maybe getting shoved to the wayside. They don't maybe have the freedom of a Spotify or an Apple podcast where you can choose what you want to listen to, when you want to listen to it, that type of thing. Those are kind of your main three platforms outside of Amazon, which is kind of so far beneath everything right now anyway. Do you see a problem eventually growing with Spotify and Apple holding all of the the cards in the deck? And then what we've seen maybe in YouTube and video by being able to go, look, we hold revenue, we hold content, we hold creators, we hold distribution, we're everything. You have to answer to us and what we want to do. And we're not going to be all that clear about it either. The podcasting universe is to, you know, stretch a really big metaphor is like a universe of a billion stars, right? RSS is what links them all together. And you can have your podcast that's carried on RSS and it's carried on every single service. It's right. Uh, podcasting by its very nature is platform agnostic because RSS is an open standard. It's interoperable. It was the engine of tremendous innovation and growth because it was open. And that was a big problem back in the 1990s. That's why internet radio was so slow to get started, because it was dominated by proprietary formats. I don't know if you remember Real Audio Player. Remember that? (laughs) Uh, Do you remember QuickTime Music? Apple, for a brief time, you know, had a dalliance with internet radio through QuickTime Music. And you would go on, you know, NPR and New York Times, and you'd have two different links right? One for real audio and one for QuickTime because they were incompatible formats. And both of those formats were basically dominated by a single company. They were, you know, they were closed and proprietary. So RSS was really kind of breaking open the chains of that proprietary format. And that allowed podcasting to really thrive and grow. It was a kind of rising tide that lifts all boats kind of industry. Now we're kind of coming back around to where we were in the 1990s and platforms are super powerful. They allow us access to so much content. You know, you can get so much audio content through Spotify. It's ridiculous. But, you know, platforms are sort of like the cosmic equivalent of black holes. They suck everything into them. It's this inescapable uh, gravity that pulls you in. And once you're there, it's very difficult to get out. Just like these massive black holes that are kind of swallowing up stars, literally and figuratively, right? They're swallowing up podcast stars. They're swallowing up content. Their goal is just to keep you on the platform for as much of your time as possible. That's their goal. And however it is they can achieve that, that's what they're going to do. Accessing exclusive content making it super easy for you to actually find content so you can remain on the platform, making it easy for you to, if you're a podcaster, to use Spotify audio on the platform. That's great because then you are locked into that platform. So platforms are convenient. The more people use platforms, the more useful they are, right? So if you've got a platform that no one's using, it's pointless for you to be on there because you can't find other people, you can't find listeners. But if you're a platform that has millions and hundreds of millions of daily users, suddenly the value proposition becomes you know much more strong. That's why platforms tend toward small oligopolies or even monopolies, because the more users you have, the more useful your platform becomes. And if Google, for example, Google, the multi-billion dollar company, can't even launch a social media to rival Facebook, which it was not able to, Google plus it's already shut down, that sort of demonstrated this maxim that, you know, hey, the more people use a platform, the more powerful it becomes. It's these kind of uh, black holes of service and content. And that's not a, a bad thing, right? Black holes aren't they're a fact of nature. They're not necessarily good or bad, but they work by drawing in all this stuff and users and content and attention to them. And it makes it very difficult for anything else to emerge. It's interesting because there is kind of a snowball aspect whenever you're talking about social 
platforms. And and like it or not, I mean, Spotify being obviously more music, more audio based, it is still kind of a social platform in its own way. It is interesting to see that like you, you likened Google Plus, all the money in the world, all the top thinkers in the world behind that platform. And it, it maybe lasted a year before they eventually shuttered it. And really, it was dead on arrival. I mean, everyone knew that it was not going to work. People, I think, were, were gaming it for the SEO aspect more than they were using it as a social network. There's got to be a certain fear as you look at podcasting and, and audio as a whole, where you go, man, those two companies, Spotify and Apple, once they kind of control the bulk of the market share, I mean, there's no giving it up. There is no, you can't start a new platform and, and no matter amount, the amount of money behind it, you're never going to be able to garner that type of a market share maybe ever again. Is that legitimately a concern? And then, then you know, I know there's also data privacy and security issues that go along with that stuff too. But is that a concern if you are looking at it, if you are the the mayor of audio of podcasts and going, you know what, I need to have more than one town hall. Are you concerned that Spotify and Apple at this point are just too big to really compete against? We're getting to that point, I think. There's like a tipping point, as you kind of suggest. And once you reach that tipping point, it's like, you know, again, it's the the black hole escape velocity. Once you, you know, you can't get that escape velocity, you know, you can try as hard as you might, but you're going to be sucked in. You know, that's why so many of these companies are rushing to to be sort of it's like that first to market advantage. And if you can be that first to market, then you have a built in advantage regardless of what your content is or how how well you manage your resources. Just by being there first, often you can get um, a huge advantage. I look at Apple, right? Steve Jobs introduced podcatching capability into iTunes 4.9 in 2005. And then Apple just basically sat around for a decade and did nothing. On one hand, that's great because they were like the equivalent of an absentee landlord. They kept the lights on and they made sure that, you know, people could upload stuff and and get access to it. And they sure they had some of their own crazy, you know, rules and regulations. And Apple always does. They're very finicky with things like you can't use the word Apple or Mac or iPod or iPad in the title of your podcast where they'll, you know, they'll kick you off their service and so on and so forth. Like they had all kinds of and you had to your cover art has to have certain kinds of looks and if you had explicit, you know, content on your podcast, you were supposed to label it with an explicit label. And if you didn't, then they, you could get booted as well. So they had various kinds of rules, but those were fairly minimal. They didn't do the same kind of like really aggressive marketing and moving into the space that Spotify has done in the last five years, for example. But that kind of just shows you how the first to market advantage works because Apple literally did nothing for 10 years, and they are still atop the downloads. Now, Spotify is rapidly catching up, and depending on who you ask, right, they've eclipsed Apple in terms, you know, some hosting providers are saying that they're getting more downloads from, you know, Spotify than from uh, Apple devices on their their content. And that's going to be different for different hosting platforms, I'm sure. I'm sure Apple kind of looked with alarm at their market share starting to dwindle in the wake of Spotify. So Spotify, in in the sense, in that sense here, is kind of like the upstart because it's a relatively new to the podcasting. Even though it's been around the audio space for a, a, a very long time, it's relatively new to the podcasting space. But they are being much more aggressive, and Apple is kind of playing catch up right now but they have you know a 15 year head start on spotify i guess spotify is creating the term uh, a walled garden right so this is your your closed ecosphere where everything is behind like a subscription and paywall right yeah so this term uh, walled garden and uh there's a great piece actually from uh, a commentator in uh the Verge. His name is uh, Dieter Bone, and he has a, a great piece recently talking about. Everyone talks about this term, walled gardens, and it, it kind of the metaphor connotes that inside the wall, there's like these beautiful, lush gardens, and everybody enjoys, right? And as long as you can get access to it through the doorway by paying something, 
then you get to enjoy all this great stuff. But he was sort of questioning whether or not the garden is so green and lush on the inside. And in fact, you know, the garden can be kind of an oppressive place because you have to abide by certain rules. And this is, again, uh, Exhibit A in the ongoing lawsuit, which actually I think is going to have some consequences for podcasting as well, that uh, Epic, the maker of Fortnite, is waging currently against Apple and Apple's App Store. Apple takes a 30% cut of all apps in its App Store, which is enormous, particularly in compared with other companies around uh, the industry. Um, Google certainly doesn't take that much. That's going to have some implications because in Apple's new premium podcast, they are using the same rules as their App Store, which is like a 30% cut, which is kind of insane when you think about it, especially if when you consider that Spotify is, at least for the first year, is taking zero. Uh, that's that's a big difference. So this Epic lawsuit, and it is an Epic lawsuit filed by Epic, uh, this Epic <laughs> lawsuit is potentially going to have some interesting implications because it's going to really kind of force the issue for the first time about whether or not these walled gardens are really so nice on the inside and whether or not they, instead of being a walled garden, what uh, they're more like is basically kind of a, a restriction, a, a restraint of trade, you know, a trust, call it what you will. Dieter Bowen calls it a carrier, like they're acting more like carriers that can make their set their own rules. And if you don't like it, you have very few other alternatives, right? And if you decide that you're dissatisfied with Apple and you don't list your podcast on Apple Podcasts, you are essentially, you know, saying goodbye to probably 50 to 60 percent at least initially, of the downloads that you might have for your podcast, which is practically and effectively impossible to do. Or if you care about growth, you have to be on Apple Podcasts. That plays into this whole, the power of these platforms. I think Apple's argument and against Epic, and, and this is what's going to be so interesting about this lawsuit, is they're saying, that, look, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, a lot of effort curating this stuff, ensuring that you know, we're, privacy, all all that good stuff, and and they certainly play hard on that side. Whereas Google is a little bit more fast and loose; they'll let a lot of things up there without quality uh, assurance checks, without a lot of different things. So it's going to be interesting. You know, I liken it to a toll road, where it's like, yeah, this road's nice; it's just been paved. But man, if I've got to go to this way to work every single day, and I got to pay you five dollars, it's just the cost of doing business. But it can't be that ridiculously high. You start pushing into that monopoly territory, at least in my opinion, and I'm sure Epic's probably going to push on that side as well, at least from the, the court of public opinion of, you know, Apple is just too massive to do this and, and they're, they're killing creators as a whole. It's, it's going to be really interesting what comes out of that, not only from the app store, but like you said, for podcasting and really just for, mono uh, for, for Apple's entire business plan, really, because I think if they lose, a lot of other things are going to start getting looked at a lot harshly. The opposite then of your walled garden is your your open ecosystem, your open podcasting. The importance of open podcasting, you know, your podcaster's role is to create engaging and innovative and relevant contents for your audience. And we need to focus on building an ecosystem that allows audiences to interact with content rather than an environment that makes it more more difficult. Like you said, Dr. Sullivan, being able to put all your content onto all the hosting platforms, your platform agnostic, we keep coming back to that term. A lot of episodes, we've, we've mentioned that term. So open podcasting doesn't necessarily mean that all content should be free, though, correct? For example, all creators should be able to monetize their program in a way that suits them best, right? Yeah, absolutely. So open, right. Open doesn't necessarily mean free. Open means that the decisions about what you're going to do and how the relationship that you have with your audience should be a relationship between the podcaster and his or her audience and listeners. So in other words, there shouldn't be someone in the middle telling both sides, podcasters, you can't do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And by the way, I, since I control access to 50% of your listeners, you're going to pay me money 
otherwise say goodbye to those listeners. The flip side is also true. So what these platforms, so we've been talking about all the great things that these platforms do. They allow us to find content. They allow us to easily uh, listen and get access to that content, so on and so forth. But to go back, Matt, to your kind of like your spatial metaphor of like driving on a toll highway, right? Uh, what these platforms do, I mean, this may be a shiny, beautiful toll highway, but what these platforms also do is they monitor your every behavior and click on those platforms. They are massively sophisticated surveillance machines, and they use that surveillance to monetize your behavior. So it's not only that, you know, you may be paying extra to Spotify for a premium subscription, or you may be paying an extra amount per month to access a podcast, but you, each and every action that you take through that platform is logged, carefully monitored, and then turned right back around and marketed to some other third party advertiser or whoever to market products, services back to you. So in other words, you just by the virtue of you doing your consuming on one of those platforms, you're generating value for that platform just by the virtue of what you're doing. And that's what most people don't recognize or realize. So when you're using an app, a third-party podcasting app, for example, in order to access your podcast, let's say you're on iOS and you're using uh, Overcast, or let's say you're on Android and you're using my favorite uh, Android podcasting app, Podcast Addict. You know, shout out to Podcast Addict on yep, Android. That's what I right? use. Right. So let's say you're using one of those third party providers. Then all they're doing is they're sort of passing through via RSS the content to you. And your relationship with the podcaster is just that. It's almost like a one to one relationship. Whereas if you're listening to the same content, you know, it's the same episode, the same content, but you're listening on Spotify or Google Podcasts, for example. Because you're interacting with that content via one of these large platforms, your every move is watched very carefully in a way that it's not through these third-party apps. So what I would say is the open ecosystem of podcasting is not just something that allows podcasters to kind of chart their own destiny with regard to monetization, which is important. But number two, it also allows listeners to access content in an environment that is relatively free from the kinds of massive surveillance that they get through major platforms. I mean, there's a reason Facebook is a multi-billion dollar company, <laughs> right? And it's uh, free. It's not as it's 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 free to you. Anything <laughs> that's free to you is not free. No. That's the value proposition here of these platforms. They give you all this, you know, access to all this great stuff. But a part of the exchange that very few people realize is that they are therefore monitored in everything that they do. Yeah. So Spotify, they know the listener's name, billing information, where they live, their age, what music they like, their the other shows they enjoy, who they're friends with on Spotify, what devices they use. In 2020, Spotify filed a patent for technology that tracks its users' personality traits, <laughs> which... If you're an advertiser, these are really valuable, right? Yeah, so Spotify does charge your subscription fee, but it kind of puts it in the same same field as Facebook. And this is what, and you know, online advertisers are looking for this. And even they market this to podcasters too. So they'll say like, hey, podcasters, you need to be on Spotify because look at all this great information you get about your audience. And there's a sense in which if you know your audience, if you're connected with your audience, you don't need to spy on them in order to get information about about them because podcasting is built around this sense of community. You're there for your listeners. You're there for your audience. And that's one of the great things, I think, about uh, podcasting. It makes it different from any other medium, including radio. You could, you know, call up your radio station, either complain or ask for something, and you're likely to get a an intern or a low-level functionary who is never going to really respond to your complaint or request or whatever. But with podcasting, if you reach out to the podcaster or the host of a show, 
you're going to hear from that person. There is a much more of a relationship there. And I worry that with these large platforms coming in that seek to dissolve that one-on-one relationship into a mass of numbers, that suddenly you're not dealing with your listeners one-on-one, you're dealing with them as like numbers, right? Or a demographic or something. And so if someone contacts you on Spotify and says, hey, I listened to your podcast and I really think it could you know, do X and you might, you know, a future podcaster might say like, well, that's great, but you're not in my target demo. So, you know, you know, feel free to listen or not, whatever. That's where the rest of media are. That's not really where podcasting is. And I hope podcasting stays as community-oriented as listener-focused, as weird and wacky and wild as it always has been, because that's what, that's what I think is great about podcasting. Can't continue to be successful without collecting that information and selling that information? It can. I think podcasting can't. It just depends on what your, what your ultimate goals are. If your goal is to get a six-figure, you know, seven-figure deal like Joe Rogan, no. Those podcasts and podcasters are few and far between. But if you're just looking to raise awareness, uh, we haven't even talked about, you know, using podcasts as a means for generating, you know, brand awareness. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Your goals are different. And there's always going to be that available to you. So I think that that's that's not going to be disrupted by this. But if you are looking to kind of monetize your podcast via advertising, the advertising market, while it gets bigger, is also going to become more concentrated. So there's a kind of looks like sort of like a log function. And you can look at Chris Anderson's uh, book called The Long Tail, where he kind of talks about how most media markets eventually shape up to look like this long tail, where the most of the revenues are concentrated at the head. So you might get among 5% of podcasters you might get 90% of the revenue, you know, kind of sucked up into that one, one 5% bar. But then as you move further out, you know, the amount of revenue goes down, but there's still revenue to be had in the tail. So the tail are all those small niche podcasts out there that can find some monetization. They're certainly not going to get the same level of monetization that you get from a serial or a Joe Rogan or a Dax Shepard or Michelle Obama. But you're making it work. You're able to actually make a career out of it. That's still possible. As long as RSS is still around, right? You're going to pry RSS from my cold, dead hand because that, that is the tool. That's the engine that allows all of us. That's the even playing field that allows all of us to exist, that allows your podcast to sit right alongside a podcast with 5 million downloads when someone accesses a podcast app on their phone. That's one of the great things about podcasting. Do you think, though, that it's kind of inevitable that companies like Spotify and Apple, especially as they start getting into the content creation aspect, that eventually they are going to completely close it off and go, you know what? We are we're NBC. You can only watch NBC things on our platform. I mean, we look at streaming as a whole, Netflix and and the million of companies that have started up to where for a $5 subscription, you get access to all of our content, but everyone else we're pushing out. You can no longer listen to any of that stuff. Do you think that that's just an eventual, that that's inevitable as podcasting starts to grow and as more money starts to flow into it? And like you said, the 90% of, of the the revenue maybe goes to the top 5% of podcasts or, or, or top 5% of producers. And then we're kind of left with like a small business versus Walmart aspect where podcasts like ours and, and a million other ones out there are fighting for not necessarily crumbs, but in the overall market, relative crumbs. We're, we're, we're looking at halves of percents. I worry less about, in the sense that that's, that's like a, an active intention to go out and kind of crush the little guy. I don't think that's necessarily what companies like Apple and Spotify are aiming towards. But I will say that because these platforms can direct audience attention in certain types of ways, they can feature various podcasts 
And because it's going to become that much more difficult with two plus million and growing numbers of podcasts for you to even get some initial traction, it's that that failure to launch kind of uh, thing that if you're launching a podcast now, it's only going to come more and more difficult for you to do that. And oftentimes the only way for you to really generate that buzz is if you get featured or in some way, you know, the attention of the audience of listeners is in some way spotlighted on your podcast. So you can there's then you can kind of be self-sustaining for a while because then those listeners might come back or whatever. And that's why those kind of cross-promotion strategies that podcasters always talk about with one another, finding podcasts that are similar to yours, being a guest on those podcasts, or swapping host duties can really help, you know, from one podcast to the next, taking over a podcast, creating mini podcasts within a podcast. And NPR is starting to do this with tremendous effect. And I think it's having, it's a real kind of model for the industry. So they'll basically have a new podcast take over an episode or two of an existing podcast, right? And they'll say like, we're not having podcast X this week, we're having podcast Y. And then that's going to become its own separate podcast. And if you like hearing this, go ahead and check. So they basically like using RSS to, and if you're a listener, you're like, hey, man, this, you know, I've got an RSS feed to this podcast. I don't want this other podcast, but NPR will just sort of feed you this new podcast and say like, hey, and if you like this new one, you know, we're off this week, but instead listen to podcast Y and then go off and subscribe to that podcast. So by inserting new content into old existing feeds, you can really kind of build audience and NPR is starting to do that a lot. And as a listener, I do find that a little bit annoying and a little bit presumptuous on their part to offer you content that you didn't really ask for, to take away content that you did ask for and separate and to instead slot in its space content you didn't ask for in order to generate interest in that content. But from an audience maximization perspective, that's it's an incredibly effective technique. And television's been doing that for years, right? That's why they spent so much time crafting primetime schedules because they knew that if you had to literally get the get up from the couch or get the remote and change to another station chances are you're not going to do that so that they would have what's called audience flow from one uh time period into the next so you would create blocks of programming that would kind of command audience attention and so that that was the whole name of the game long you know before everyone had their on-demand media and no one really watched broadcast television anymore. But it worked for them for decades. It's interesting, you know, the common thread in a lot of these things is we look at, at other forms of media, television, streaming movies, audio, all the different things, that really, I think consumers as a whole don't realize that you are the product in most cases. You are the data points. I know that in the form of like television, the Nielsen ratings, the Nielsen box, you know, I knew a family of four was listening or watching this thing at this time. And now with online, I know not only it, this guy is 32 years old, but he's into these eight other things and he spends this much time. I can focus quite literally where the browser, where, where your cursor is that we're, we're starting to see maybe a, a maximization of that data over time and, and platforms like Spotify, like Apple are using that you mentioned the frustration of it with NPR, but I think it's interesting to see that, that it is so frustrating, but man, does it work? Uh, that, that, that maximization of that data, you cannot help but to go, Oh yeah, I'm totally going to watch that thing. I just led into. And, and that was, that was a television model for decades upon decades was the lead in. Um, it's just, it's, it's interesting to see as old media gets into this form of new media, that we're starting to see a lot of these same tactics get brought in and then in turn a lot of independent podcasters get shoved out of the way in the process because they don't access to that that billion bytes of data. It's a really interesting thing and that that'll be even more interesting to track over the next handful of years as we start to see those large corporations get more and more involved. And you know we we want podcasting to continue to thrive and we want there to be a space for small indie podcasters because that's what makes this medium, I think, really great and fascinating. 
and interesting, right? If I, if I want to hear celebrity interviews, there's a great piece recently that said, man, are celebrity interviews ruining podcasting? Because, you know, if I want to hear celebrity interviews, that's basically, I can turn on the television, I can, you know, load up my browser. I mean, it's a celebrity interview, inter- interviewing other celebrities. That's basically the sum total of all media that we have. I'd rather podcasting do something totally radically different. That's what has drawn people to this medium from the very beginning. So I think all that stuff will still be there. Um, I think it will be accessible. The problem is, is that will it be easily findable and discoverable so that more casual audiences, uh, more casual listeners will be able to stumble upon your podcast? Right. So one of the, um, I believe uh, there's a blog post from uh, Jacobs Media that looks at how people find podcasts. And word of mouth is still the number one source of discoverability in podcasting. And that is that to me is a sign of tremendous health for podcasting. But if that number starts to go down and we see kind of machine AI generated recommendations start to come to the fore as the number one source of podcast recommendations, then I think that that will kind of be an ominous sign for the ecosystem as a whole, because then that will suggest that people's own, and it's already happened with with music, right? DJs used to introduce us to music that we didn't know before, but then found interesting. So the, the palette was huge. If you listen to radio back in the 50s and 60s, you could listen to any different kinds of, of music and be exposed to different kinds of music through the radio. And now look at radio. It's it's homogenized. It's a it's a top forty playlist that gets recycled over and over again. Clearly, we don't want that. But what Spotify does is that so many people are listening to AI recommended music through Spotify or some of these other platforms, and these AI recommendations simply give you more of what you've listened to before. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you listen to. Christina Aguilera, you're going to want to listen to Taylor Swift or, oh, you know what I mean? It's the same type of artist, the same type of thing. So it's still, it's not as bad as top 40 recycled radio. Thanks, iHeartMedia for that. But it's almost as bad because everything that you get is simply a new iteration of stuff that you've listened to already. And so you don't broaden your palette by getting AI recommendations through Spotify. I think it's a healthy sign that people recommend podcasts to their friends and relatives and the word of mouth, whether it's through social media or otherwise, still drives a lot of podcast discovery. And I think that's great. And I would love to see that continue. One thing that I always harp on and and I have in, in a variety of jobs that I've had is content is king. And I think we see that truly in podcasting. Yeah, you can listen to your homogenized uh this celebrity interviewing this other celebrity which you can get on any channel literally anywhere but there's a lot of really interesting things still going on and 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 you're right the the word of mouth the the people that are into podcasting tend to find those things and then to spread those large and wide still for anyone that's out there that's maybe getting concerned by this talk which certainly I can understand it is you know make compelling content that's always going to be it. Discoverability is going to change and it's going to change over the next 20 years like clockwork. It does in every industry, period. But if you create good content that is interesting and engaging, you will always have a spot in media, whether that be podcasting, whether that be writing, whether that be anything else, you will always have a spot. It just might not be, like you said, Dr. Sullivan, you, you might not be making seven figures. You might not be Joe Rogan necessarily. But man, you could really carve out a good niche for yourself in podcasting, I think. And that's, for me, that was one of my draws to podcasting when joining Queued Up was there is still that good split. It isn't just Walmart all the way. You have a lot of the local small businesses that you could go get to. Finding them might not always be the easiest thing to do, but they still exist. Go ahead and and do that call to action in your show or in your episode. And the call to action doesn't necessarily just have to be rate us on Spotify or leave a, you know, leave a uh, a rating on Apple Podcasts or something like that. It can be actually much more meaningful. It can be, hey, if you like this content, shoot us an email. 
Or, hey, if you really like this, mention us to your mom and see if your mom likes us. In other words, you can be organic with your call to action in a way that develops a relationship between you and your listeners. And then your listener says, you know, I really enjoy hearing this content and I want to share this with more people and I want to help out this this indie podcaster. And I think um, these days announcing yourself as an indie podcaster can also be a very valuable call to action. So you can say, like, hey, I'm not into this for your money. I'm into this because I love doing this. I love delivering great content to you week after week after week. And if you want me to continue to do this, go ahead and you know give me a shout out on your social media or you know go ahead and send me an email or recommend me to a friend or a relative. I think that that kind of call still goes a long way in this medium. Yeah, absolutely. Audience engagement is always a key there. And you're right. It, it, it's podcasting is so unique in that way to where, you know, we were talking about it earlier. If you email us, you're probably going to get John or myself. I mean, that's, that's the reality of this. Or if you, if you message us on uh, Instagram or, or Facebook or any of those things, it's going to be us that's responding to you. So when you say, Hey, I like this, you're legitimately telling us. And that, that's something that I don't think you get in a lot of mediums anymore. Um, and, and it'll be interesting again, see how maybe that changes over the next handful of years. But, uh, it, it, it really is that sense of community is very much large in podcasting in a way that it's not in a lot of other mediums and it's fun. So with that in mind, uh, you know, email us at info at qd up.com or hit us up on any of our social channels and we'll, you know, we'll, we'd love to chat. Hey guys and gals, we have some additional content that we're going to be putting out on YouTube. We continued our talk with Dr. Sullivan about a bunch of lovely things that uh, we're not going to include in the podcast. So go to YouTube, look up Queued Up Audio, and you will go ahead and find it there. As always, it'll be in the show notes as well. So make sure you get it there and then we'll link it on various social networks too. But go to YouTube, look up Queued Up Audio, and you will find our little additional segment with Dr. Sullivan that I think is uh, really interesting. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Sullivan, for coming on. This has, as always, been a really enlightening, uh, really good talk, I think, that just the future of podcasting and, and where it's heading, as well as what are some of the things that are happening right now. So that was fantastic. I really do appreciate you coming on. And, and where can people find you if they want to find you? Thanks so much, Matt and John. Yeah, it's been uh, great talking with both of you. You can find me on Twitter at, at jsullivan47. You can find me during the fall and spring semesters on the campus of Muhlenberg College, which is in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Great place for you to check out as well. We have one of the uh, largest and most uh, innovative media and communication programs at any small liberal arts college in the nation. So if you're interested in podcasting and all things media, check us out there. Uh, you can find us there at muhlenberg.edu. Excellent. And John, if people love what we've been talking about on here and they want to hire us for services, how can they do that? Where, where can they go? You can go to our website, which is qd-up.com. Email through info at qdup.com or on any of our social channels. As always, it's the Cute Up Podcast on podcasting. It has been a pleasure